God's holy and inerrant word, starting in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. That's all right. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's so great uh, to be here um, as a new member on the pastoral staff. Uh, if we have not yet met, my name's Dan. Uh, this is now my fourth uh, Sunday for me, uh, my wife, Myung, who's uh, sitting there somewhere, and uh, our son, Joseph. And just want to thank uh, Bill and the leadership uh, just for having us, for the warm welcome. Uh, we already feel like we're part of the family and couldn't be more thankful uh, to serve this wonderful community. And so please continue to pray for us uh, as we continue to settle in uh, and as I settle into my various pastoral roles. Well, I also want to take time to welcome back our college students. Uh, raise your hand if you're undergrad here. So let's uh, welcome them back. Um, yeah, having led the college ministry at RCF. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bringing the average age of our congregation down a little bit, but uh, having led um, RCF over at University of City for some years, this is always a very, very special time, uh, anticipating a new ministry year. And as a church, we're here to support you uh, all and pray for you as you entrust this new chapter of your life uh, to the Lord. And we're looking forward to seeing many students uh, join our community, hear the gospel preached and direct their lives towards God's purpose and mission. So we're thankful for you guys. For uh, the youth students here, middle, high school, I know for some of you the summer's not quite over yet. You don't want to hear this, but I also encourage you guys uh, to lift up your new year to the Lord. I know there can be a lot of anxiety uh, with the unknown ahead of you, but um, yeah, look to the one who loves you and is always faithful to you. He holds your future in his hands, and as you trust him, his promise is that he'll make your paths straight. Uh, for the rest of us, you know, working adults, uh, raising families, just trying to be faithful, I know that the Christian life, uh, the ministry of the church is more like a marathon uh, than a sprint. You know, our lives are no longer marked by semesters or academic calendars, but by longer, less defined stretches. So I pray that on this day, uh, as we rest in God, uh, we can all kind of catch our breath, uh, spiritually rehydrate, and find the strength uh, to start our next lap here together as he leads us. But again, thank you again for allowing me the privilege to serve you in these roles, uh, one of which is to expound and preach uh, the word of God to you, which I feel so humbled and privileged to do this morning. Well, we're in this series in 2 Timothy where Paul, he's instructing his disciple and his spiritual protege, Timothy, in all matters concerning life, doctrine, and ministry. And we're now in the heart of chapter 4 where he's drawing his thoughts to a close and sharing some very, very meaningful words. And in these very, very beautiful verses, these three verses, having given a series of charges to Timothy for ministry, we now see him giving a personal reflection of his own life and ministry, which is directly tied to all that he has previously said. And so as we look at these, study them, 
we can see there's a lot to gain for our own lives. So we'll unpack all this throughout this message, but before we do that, can I invite us all to bow our heads uh, for a word of prayer? Uh, would you pray for your heart? Uh, pray for both the delivery and the reception of his word this morning. Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence with us here in this place. Thank you that you've ordained this time for us to be here, to sit underneath this word. And God, we come to you as people who need you more than anything because we have nowhere else to turn but to your words of life. God, we confess that we're aimless, purposeless without your guiding hand to lead us forward. But we thank you that your precious gift in Jesus Christ is all that we need. God, I pray that your words will come to us with power. It will cut our hearts in a way that we can really see where we fall short. If we're discouraged from the burdens of life, you would give strength, breathe life, renew our joy and confidence in you, take us away from depending on ourselves and running our races. Help us look to the one who's gone ahead of us and showed us the way. Thank you that you've made your word simple enough, simple enough for us to understand and believe. And so would you be our strength and shield this day? Remind us of things that we so easily forget and show us, God, that in you we have new life, a renewed confidence to go forward to run our races. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but it's so much easier to start things than to end things well. Maybe you can relate to this in areas of our lives such as fitness and dieting. You know, we all know how great it feels when you first start off. It's like, wow, this feels great. Let's get to the gym. Let's go for a run. Not too much later, you're standing at the pantry. Ooh, Oreos. This is, this is great. Maybe you can relate to having dozens of unfinished books on your desk and shelf where the page is kind of folded somewhere in the first third of that book. If you're like me, you've run out of bookmarks. I use random post-its and receipts for, to, to mark my spot. Maybe there are tasks, chores, home projects, puzzles left incomplete. So much easier to start things than to end things. Students, you know that semesters or marking periods are so easy to be motivated in the beginning. This is it. This is going to be my best one. But just weeks go by and you start to lose motivation. And yes, senioritis is very much a real thing. I caught that in seminary. You know, it was very, very difficult to end well. And I'm sure that this is not the way any of us want to be, but we can't help it. And sadly, this holds true in our spiritual lives as well. As we all know very well how challenging it is to stay faithful and consistent every day. But we see in the Bible this call. Our call is to run well and to finish well. And we're given very precious promises from God to enable us to do that until the race is one day finally over. And that's what we'll be looking to explore today. So what Paul's doing here in this chapter is as he reflects on his own life and ministry, he turns now to a tone of encouragement. Because he knows, as Timothy also well knows, that the end is near and he wants to pass on some very, very encouraging words so that Timothy too will press on. And so there, here are three points of encouragement. How do we run well? And in the um, little sheet in front of you, you can fill in the blanks there. Number one, submit to God's sovereignty. Number two, 
faithfully persevere. And number three, anticipate future glory. So submit to God's sovereignty. Look at verse 6 with me. Follow along this passage. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. You know, what makes this verse so beautiful and not depressing is that Paul's statement here is in the passive voice. He's saying, I am being poured out as a drink offering. Paul's not pouring himself out. It's not being done by the Roman ruler Nero, you know, who, who had him arrested and put in prison. He's making it clear that his life and destiny are in the hands of God, who is sovereign and in control of all things. He's in complete acceptance of all that God has brought his way. And even in these final chapters of his story, he believes the way his life is unfolding now, it's all preordained and written by God. And that is why he's able to submit to him in peace. Now to understand what he means by being poured out as a drink offering, in the Old Testament, during the ritual of a a sacrifice of a lamb, wine was poured out at the base of the altar so that the sacrifice would be drenched. And it would spill over onto the ground until there was nothing left to pour. Not a single ounce was spared. All of it was poured out as an offering to God. Now, in those days, wine was just as valued as it was today. You know, the panic you feel if you accidentally spill a bottle of wine, you can't salvage any of it. It's like, oh my gosh, what happened here? It's a complete waste. Nobody likes to spill their drinks, whether it's your infant's milk, (laughs) the horror of that. It's gone forever. And your soft drink for lunch. But that's what's happening here with these sacrifices. And so Paul's comparing his life to that drink offering that's being poured out, that God called him to give everything, give up everything, spare nothing as a sacrifice for his work. And in expressing it this way, the way he communicated it, Paul saw and declared, there's no choice in the matter for me. This is all God's doing. My life is not my own. I've been bought at a price. Now, this is something that we should pause and think about. Paul saying that his life is being poured out. Sounds a little bit extreme, right? If we're honest. It's like, give everything? Am I able to do that and spare nothing? But if we're honest, we're all being poured out for something, right? In one way or another. Think about that. It's usually this time of year that we're all kind of moaning and saying the same words. How is the summer over already? Especially the students in here. Right? Uh, my wife is a school teacher. She's going back this Tuesday. And like 10 weeks just flew by and we're just saying, well, where did this summer go? But the time is fleeting. The moments, the days fly by. And all that you are, your strength, your energy, your resources, they're being poured out for something. Some of us, our lives are being poured out for our work. For those of us in school, for our grades, our studies, our academic record. Others for sports, hobbies, recreation, any type of pursuit of happiness. For us parents in here, know that it, we pour ourselves out for our kids. Anything to raise them well with every, for every opportunity they can have. 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We're passionate people, and I like that, that if we love something, we want to go all in. But there's always that choice before us. What or who will you allow your life to be poured out for? Will it be at the altar of fleeting earthly pursuits and leisure or at the feet of Jesus for the eternal work of his kingdom where the heavenly rewards that he promises will never, ever be taken from you? Paul was surrendered to the sovereignty of God, and that's the way he looked at his life as a drink offering being poured out. Look now at the end of verse 7. Paul also says, the time of my departure has come. Now the word departure there means literally to loosen, to loose. It had the idea of either a soldier who loosed his tent lines in order to break camp, or a sailor who loosed or lifted the anchor cable so that he can move the boat along to the next stop. In both cases, it carried this idea of preparing to move on, to move out to a better place. And so Paul wasn't focusing on this morbid idea that I'm going to die and cease to exist and I'm gone. He's expressing that he's getting ready to go somewhere else. There's one last voyage for him to take, and he was looking forward to that wherever God will call him to go. And so this is how he lived, believing that all this took place in his life. Everything that happened was because his creator allowed it in his sovereign rule. All for his good and for the glory of God. And I wonder as you're sitting here today, what does all this mean for me? As you're considering how your lives have been, what you've been through, where you are today, do you truly believe that God is absolutely sovereign in your life and in control of every little detail? Maybe it's been a dry stretch for a lot of you in your spiritual lives, and it seems like there's very little movement. You wonder, when's that next breakthrough going to come? Maybe it's been one struggle with sin after another. Your progress in holiness seems very slow. You wonder, does God still hear my prayers? Maybe it's one difficult situation after another in your life, whether it's nonstop conflicts with people close to you. It seems like once you fix one situation, it's like whack-a-mole. It's like you take care of this, another thing pops up. It's like you feel like you're losing control of your life. Maybe something happened this morning at home or on your way to church to make you feel like your world is just chaotic and out of order. And when that happens, the temptation might be to either slow down in your race or stop running altogether in discouragement. But my dear friends, if you're there, why don't we put these words, these convictions into our hearts that there is one who is absolutely in control of the entire universe, all of human history, all that's been created, one who never slumbers nor sleeps. Know that this God who oversees everything, he sees you. He sees you this morning. He sees all the floating thoughts in your mind, all the conflicting desires of your heart, and he wants to bring 
in his grace that order, that stability, by teaching you to have greater trust in him. And so this is how, one step, how we can run our races with security and confidence, run well, by surrendering to the absolute sovereignty of God. Number two, faithfully persevere. Where do we see this? Why don't we look at now verse 7, where we look at the history of Paul's ministry. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. These words are so poignant. You see them inscribed on many tombstones, uh, epitaphs for those who live full lives. But what makes this verse so powerful is that these are not boasts by any stretch. I mean, Paul, he could have boasted if he wanted after all that he endured, after all that he accomplished. But the tone of this verse isn't one of pride or triumph. It's a simple and realistic acknowledgement that he's persevered. I'm done. I finished. There's no more race to run. There's no more work left for me to do. I have fought the good fight. Another way to understand that verse translated is I have struggled through the good struggle to convey the idea, not so much of an armed conflict, you know, like a gladiator where there's a set opponent, but rather one of effort, strife, contention, because that's exactly what the nature of ministry is, one of tremendous struggle. Now, that's not all it is. There's certainly times to celebrate as the Lord allows fruit in your life and victory. But if you've served God in any way, if you've been in spiritual leadership in, in any way, you know the ongoing spiritual warfare and the battle over the hearts and souls of the people you're trying to minister to, it is indeed an unending struggle. The sheer work involved, those of us who've served, the time, the energy, the toll it can take on you mentally and emotionally. But as we see the way Paul looked at the way he fought, it's a beautiful struggle when you truly know the one who's called you and the one for whom you struggle. And his word has taught us how to struggle well. I have finished the race. And the lesson here on perseverance is that it's all about how you pace yourself. And uh, right now, I'm keeping that in mind myself as I settle into my role here at Mainlines. Like, slow down, Dan, one thing at a time. Breathe, right? Don't you have to do everything all at once? I remember when I started training for races several years ago, that was the best advice I received from all these people who like to run for fun. Strange people, but very, very honest. It's all about slow and steady wins a race. I was like, oh, yeah, you just got to finish. Don't sprint the whole thing and collapse. But train in such a way that you can finish without hurting yourself. Right? In such a way that you can persevere. Right? And I think that principle is so applicable here in our spiritual race. Now note here that Paul's words isn't, I won the race, but I finished. I finished. I reached the finish line. And I think that's such an important point friends, for our context, where so many of us are driven by competition. We strive for excellence and perfection in everything, to be better, to accomplish more, to acquire more than those around us. And our lives, as we live that way, can get so extremely exhausting because more is never enough. 
It can spill over into area over every area of our lives where we put so much unhealthy pressure on ourselves. And that is why we have to constantly reinforce the concept of grace, that we're not perfect. We're not always going to win every time. We're not going to go have this clean record of going undefeated. The Eagles aren't going to go 17-0, so let go of that, right? We have one who is perfect for us, who won the most important victory so that we can rest in him and in his amazing grace. Every time we lose, every time we feel like we're defeated, we make mistakes, his grace covers us. He says, I'm perfect for you. And that motivates us to get up and keep going. You know, at my late dad's funeral a few years back, <clears throat> um, he was a pastor for many years. Um, he also endured many painful years of conflict uh, from the church, fighting his fight. I remember I was privileged to give the eulogy in, um, at the service. I remember putting in there these words, Dad, you can finally rest. No more running. No more fighting. You don't have to worry about what people think. Just rest in Jesus' arms. I'll join you there one day. If we know that finishing is our goal, just getting there, as God leads, we can persevere with a good pace. And we can end well. Finally, I kept the faith, and real simply here, earlier in 1 Timothy 1, Paul uses similar words uh, in his charge and words to Timothy, and he says this, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So by the good deposit, Paul simply meant the gospel truth and message, the sacred doctrines of the Christian faith. And he meant for Timothy, hey, this is a precious gift. Protect it with all your might against any and all opposition. Guard what has been entrusted to you. In their day, there were many false gospels being taught, such as teachings that pushed works righteousness, legalism, adding human laws to the faith required to be saved by grace, and that was just one among many. But he lived to defend that gospel. His purpose and mission was clear. This is what God has tasked me to do. I know what my aim is as I run. And that was a big reason why he was able to say, I've kept the faith. And he was passing that on, that purpose and passion to Timothy. Well, there's one more thing that Paul did, and we'll come to number three here, that we can do to run well, and that's anticipate our future glory. Think about the finish line. What's at the end? And that's in verse 8, if you read that with me. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so after having analyzed his present circumstances, after having reviewed his past ministry, he now takes time to gaze at the future, the prize awaiting him. And he's not there yet. He's almost there. My time of my departure has come, but he's convinced. There's no doubt in his mind that there is laid up for him, stored up, the crown of righteousness. Again, no boasting there, right? 
He's not bragging that, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I, was, I was the best that there was, the best missionary there was. I earned this through my accolades and excellence. Because if you read further, it's like, it's not only me, but everyone else who loved his appearing. But he made that his focus as he labored through his ministry. Why is that so important? Why does that work theologically? Why does that work so practically as he's running? Well, think about it. Think about righteousness. A big part of the struggle and fight of the Christian life is this, that yes, once and for all, we are legally declared righteous. That's our justification. But we will never be fully, perfectly righteous on this side of heaven, even on our best days. The real experience, and we all know this, we want to love God. We want to honor God. We want to do all things for his glory. But there's this sin, there's this dark side of us that's waging war against that pure desire for God. There will be days when we do feel righteous. It's like we're making progress, but also days where, man, how could I be this bad? My weaknesses. Well, it's because we're still trapped in our flesh. And it's not until this flesh is shed off once and for all that we will truly rest in our final righteousness. And that was the crown that Paul looked forward to, that final once and for all, perfect righteousness that will be ours forever. Can you just imagine what it will feel like never to have to struggle with sin again because it's been vanquished forever? And that's what drove Paul. He couldn't wait for this. Elsewhere in Scripture, he's talking about how he's groaning for redemption, how all creation is groaning, frustrated for that final glory and this anticipation for what awaited him in heaven one day drove him to run and persevere. If this is truly the way we live, living for this glorious prize, especially if you feel like lately there's just nothing but discouragement, lack of motivation, I see two things here, hope and humility. Hope and humility. Hope that our worst seasons will not last forever. There is an ending. There is a set course. It's been mapped out already. You're not wandering around looking for when the next turn is. And what is waiting on you on the other side, and you can reference Romans 8.18, 2 Corinthians 4.17, that our light and momentary troubles are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That our present sufferings, the glory that awaits will far outweigh anything, any of our pain now. And secondly, humility. The fact that this crown of righteousness, perfect righteousness, is given as a gift to those who are already, by grace, declared righteous. Not what you've done, not what you've merited, but by God and God alone. And that brings us to our knees. We have nothing to boast of, even in our progress, except in the Lord Jesus and what he has accomplished. The gospel of grace is intensely humbling. That's why as you sit here today, you can't look down on anyone in this room. You can't look down on anyone who's behind you. We've all received perfect grace. And one last thing I want to point out here is that Paul notes here that it is a righteous judge 
who awards this crown to us. And this is very important to know because it wasn't, again, Roman emperor who judged him as a guilty criminal, that that was what he was focused on that mattered. But the one who has every right to judge the living and the dead, the one to whom all people will give account one day for their lives, just like we read in our confession today earlier, he's the one who would give Paul the one reward that truly counts. Maybe you're here today, you feel the weight of constant judgment, whether it's at work from your employers, supervisors, maybe it's in your classroom from your teachers and professors, maybe from our, even people close to us, our family members, or people we minister to, constantly judgments being passed based on ways we don't measure up, based on way, things we can't control, things we're not proud of, and it can take a toll on our, on our spiritual vitality of life. But know today that if you are in Christ, if you trust in him, if you've given your life to him, if you love his appearing, that the one true righteous judge who sits on his throne, who is perfectly just and whose judgments matter most, he is well pleased with you and he will give you a crown that will never, ever fade and that will never be taken from you. For all who long for and love is appearing. And one thing we can take away from this passage here today is, do I do that? Am I longing for his second coming? Am I a little too comfortable in this world? God, can you delay that second coming thing a little bit more? I got more experience. I got more things, more things on my list of goals to achieve. Maybe next year. But it makes sense, all the sense in the world that those who long for the appearing of Christ most are those who are suffering in this life. Those who are being persecuted for their faith around the world. Lord Jesus, come soon. Come and make right all that has gone wrong. Wipe away the tears. Wipe away the pain. If you're a struggling believer here today, if you're here today, you're not a Christian, we're so glad you've joined us. But I want to take a minute and just encourage you with these words. Maybe you feel like today there's so much going on in your life, but it lacks real purpose. Maybe there is a race you're running, but it, maybe it doesn't mean much to you at all. You're not exactly sure what it is you're striving after. You're not sure if it's worth it. And what's resulting is a lot of restlessness. Well, I invite you today or next Sunday or in your community groups, wherever it might be, come and just taste and see, learn ask questions, find out more about this wonderful gospel, that our eternal God came to this world, took on the sin that made this world so painful and confusing to live in, that you can find true meaning, purpose, and hope in him. And we can look forward to a future that's much more glorious than the best days we can experience here on earth. And the way he did that was by accomplishing what we read in Hebrews 12. And I put that on the sheet for you guys there. The gospel hope and promise. He ran ahead of us. He ran for the joy set before him. Ran it perfectly. A race that was too difficult for us to run, but he persevered to the end, enduring the cross, scorning its shame, never looking for the easy way out, but by completely submitting to the will of the Father, saying in anguish, not my will, but yours be done. He submitted to God's sovereignty. And because he did that, victory. He rose again 
and now seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning over all things and cheering us on. Go! Exhorting us through his promises, his word. Press on. Don't give up. Not because you're strong enough to win, but because I'm strong enough and I'm gracious enough to carry you, to walk alongside you, to help you finish your course. And friends, because that's true, your life does not have to feel aimless. There's hope. There's eternal purpose for all who come and believe in faith. So receive that love and grace so that you can be forgiven of the ways we wander, turn to idols, wrestle with things like self-inflicted, a lot of anxiety, but no real peace knowing that the righteous judge will be there welcoming you with open arms. Also remember that he's a great high priest that when we're too winded and too discouraged, that he's interceding for us, pleading for us on our behalf before the Father. So in closing, just two quick words of application here. Um, number one, in that passage in Hebrews 12, it says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. So number one is, this week, think of an idol. Get rid of an idol that's, quite frankly, making it harder for you to run your spiritual race. And what is that for you? What are those weights in your life? It's fine to have things that occupy us. It's little diversions in our life is fine. But what guilty pleasures take up too much space in your heart right now and consumes you so much that there's very little to give to God? What is that? Is God putting his finger on that? Does he want you to take that out of your life? Because he wants more space in your heart. Just like you would take off any unnecessary layer when you go out for a run or do any kind of physical workout, that makes sense in our spiritual life as well. And number two, add a healthy spiritual habit that will make it easier for you to run. So just like in, a, in physical training, right? Just a little bit more reps, you know, with the weights, another lap, right? just a little bit more distance running, that will help me okay, to press on in a race. The same thing, whether it's maybe tomorrow morning with your spouse, your kids, your roommates, right, your group, your accountability group, how about five more minutes of prayer in the morning? Add in a devotional reading that you can read together, a time of journaling, very, very healthy discipline, a prayer walk, extra time to reflect, whatever would strengthen your faith, make you spiritually healthier, and give you a greater ability to carry your cross. Because that's what we're called to do. We'll look back and see that it was worth the time to invest in those disciplines because it makes it easier to run. And one day we'll be seated with him in the heavenly places with that crown of final righteousness, declaring the praises of our righteous judge forever and ever, and until then, take this verse into your heart. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. All by him, for him, and unto him be all majesty, power, and praise. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close our time? Just in a few quiet moments before we close in song, would you go before the Lord and say, God, I come with my weaknesses. I come with all my defeats. I come with all the frustrations of life. 
Quite frankly, I'm running in an aimless race, but Lord, I know that your word has called me back to you, and so I invite you, just for a few moments, let these words encourage you. Let it strengthen your faith, give you a fresh new resolve this week to depend on God to submit to his control because he is, he is in absolute control of all that's going on in your life, though it doesn't feel like it, but his word says it's true. Run at a good pace as you see your future, as you see that God is leading you forward. He's preordained everything. He's written everything. He knows how you feel, and he's there. And your future is secure. If you long for his appearing, there is awaiting for you an amazing prize. Crown of righteousness for those of you who have persevered. By grace, longing for his appearing, declaring his praises till the end.